Welcome to Harrison Church. Thanks for joining us this week. We hope that you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Elizabeth. I don't know how many times you can say that in a row, but humblebility, humblebility, humblebility. Um, anyway, so we are moving on with our series and how it doesn't make sense sometimes this faith of ours. Uh, just a couple of things that are worth noting. You know, when Jason mentions Duke, maybe he'll get to preach. Uh, so we'll, we'll start. We'll start there. <laughs> okay, we'll start there. But um, anyway, it, it's been a great week here, and, and I'm pretty much a visual person. So when I'm in this space this morning, I'm recalling two bookends, I guess, of some of the ministries here at this church. So this week, our preschool had their graduation. And so the families from the community and a whole bunch of little uh, four-year-olds getting ready to go to kindergarten were standing here on Thursday morning. And it was just so great to, to recognize the ministry of the preschool and to also celebrate with these families uh, a milestone in their children's lives. And then yesterday, a whole bunch of folks gathered to celebrate the oldest member of our church, Miss Barry Hemby, and uh, she's 100 years old. So it's pretty impressive. <laughs> And, and it just reminded me of the full spectrum of the Christian faith, of course, and the full spectrum of the ministries here at Harrison. And, and one of the things that was noteworthy was how much she loved children and worked with the children of this church, which, which kind of just brought it all together and was a great time of celebration and, and thanksgiving um, that just has stood out of my mind beginning on Thursday and certainly through yesterday and, and right up until today. So uh, we give thanks for all who live their lives from beginning to end in faith. So if you will, please stand for the reading of our gospel lesson. Just a few short verses, but uh, pretty important. Pretty important. This is coming from Luke chapter 18, beginning with verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues adulterers, and even that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating him his breast and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. God, have mercy on us. For we are sinners. Amen. 
few years ago, I met a millennial tax collector. Now, not literally, I, yeah, I pay my taxes, I get it in, I, I do what I need to do as a citizen, grateful this, for this country. I uh, do what I do to need, need to do in that end, but I met what I'm calling the millennial tax collector who was facing a crisis in his life and wanted to come in and talk about it. He was facing heart surgery in his early 30s. He had broken off a long-term relationship, felt alone and isolated. He was still mourning the death of his mother 10 years prior and the fact that his father never was around. He was desperate and alone and experiencing all kinds of, of isolation or isolated feelings. And, and he had this recollection of church that there was something there that was good and that there would be somebody there who would provide connection and that there would be somebody there who would offer him some word of hope in the most desperate of situations. Now, he had good memories of church, distant memories. Five years old, he went to church with his grandmother for a while. In college, he made his way to a campus ministry because a local Methodist church had provided a meal. You know college students, anywhere they can get a home-cooked meal, they're going to show up. And he had experienced fellowship and grace and welcome in those moments. And so somewhere deep within, he knew that Perhaps it was time to reach back out. And I love millennials because they are so authentic. No need for pretense, just putting it out there. And he said, you know, I, I'm facing heart surgery, and the doctor says it's routine, but, but not to me, it's my heart. And I didn't have anybody else to call because I've just broken up from my long-term relationship, and her friend's... Well, our friends were her friends before they were our friends, and they're kind of all with her, and I, and I had to call her to come be with me in the hospital. How alone am I? Mom's gone. Dad never was around, as I said. I, he just felt alone, and he said, you know, I'm told that it's just because I'm feeling vulnerable that I'm reaching back out to God, that, that God is just going to be a crutch for me right now, and I want you to tell me, Pastor, that that's not true. I want you to tell me that, that something in this experience will help me reconnect with God in such a profound way that I won't ever feel this lonely or this isolated again. Can you just tell me that, Pastor? I need God. I've been wild. I wasn't bad, but I was wild in my day. And now I just want to know somebody loves me. Somebody cares for me. And... And is this real? Is this authentic? And, and you know, we had some conversation, and, and part of that decision for long-term relationship with God is his, absolutely. But he knew where to start. He knew where to start. He knew to recognize, and perhaps he didn't have any choice at this point, but he knew to recognize his own need for a gracious and loving God. And so the conversation went. And as I was reading this text this morning, my mind, my memories, my heart went straight back to him. 
He knew what he needed and he asked for it. He knew that he wasn't above that need. He knew that he wanted connection. And thank God he had had a positive experience of the church at some point in his life. This morning we're we're talking about the tax collector and the Pharisee. And we hear about these two roles a lot in the New Testament. We hear about how it is that they behave and act. And Jesus holds them up often either as an example of what not to do and as an example of how to behave. And we've heard about the Pharisee. And of course, his um, example is pretty hard for those of us who think we get it right most of the time. I stand accused. I think I'm pretty good. I'm not like those people off there. I'm not like them. And yet, when I behave that way, when I think that way, like the Pharisee, I'm in danger of forgetting my own need for the grace of God. And so we see, again, this Pharisee, and we've seen him before, and remember we talk about that red light going off when the word Pharisee comes up, because these are the people, these are the guys that are after Jesus. They're just waiting to see if he'll trip up. They're just waiting to see if he'll contradict the law, which Jesus came to fulfill the law, not break it. But he lived into it in a very different way from what the Pharisees had expected and, frankly, in a way that threatened the religious establishment. And so we we come back to these Pharisees, and, and they're not exactly trying to get Jesus this time as much as they are trying to impress everybody else trying to impress everybody else and let everybody else know how good and how righteous they are and how deserving they are of accolades around them and perhaps even of God. And so they stand, this particular one stands in the marketplace and and gives off that laundry list. I'm sure he's checked it twice. Rattles off that laundry list, first reminding God and everybody listening who he's not holding himself off and against others. Thank God I'm not like them. And you can fill in the blank. For him, it was, thank God I'm not like them. Those thieves, those adulterers, those rogues. That's a great word. That pretty much covers a a lot of bases. Thank God I'm not like them. And then he follows up. I fast. I give a tenth of all that I own. I am faithful and I am committed and I am determined and I am disciplined and I am all these great things that the law respects. And frankly, I don't have a problem with that. I'm grateful for the disciplined in faith. And I'm grateful for the generous of faith. And I'm grateful for those who are committed in any number of ways, practicing spiritual disciplines. I am so grateful for that kind of commitment. But where he transgresses the line, where he steps over the line, where he chooses to enjoy the praise of those around him rather than to credit God for everything... He moved from being righteous to being self-righteous. And there's a huge chasm in between. He goes from being righteous, which praise God for the righteous, 
to being self-righteous because he has to tell everybody about it. Faithfulness is not braggadocious. I love that word too. Faithfulness doesn't have to tell everybody about it. Faithfulness just is. And it's the disciplines that we practice that we don't have to brag about, that we don't have to share, that we don't think will curry favor, not just with God, but with everybody around us. And we can be disciplined and committed and generous, and we can be determined to follow the path of Christ and the way of God without having to tell everybody without going from being righteous and faithful to being self-righteous and, frankly, way out of line if we're trying to live like Christ, if we are trying to acknowledge what God has done for us first that, in the, that then enables us to respond to God faithfully, with humility and grace and commitment and discipline and generosity. It's not that one is better than the other, indeed. It's, it's that one thinks he's got to tell everybody about it. And in so doing, gains his earthly reward and sacrifices, perhaps, God's favor. So we have the Pharisee, again, the red light, the, guy, the guys who get held up time and time again. Don't you feel sorry for them? <laughs> I mean, they're not all bad, I'm sure, but time and time again. Here's what not to do. And then we have the tax collector, and time and time again, we, we hear these stories of Christ, and we hear about the tax collectors, and, and maybe instead of a red light blinking in your mind, you need a green light, because when we hear that word tax collector, it's often for pay attention, because these guys get it. Not all, but the one Jesus holds up. So the tax collectors in Scripture are, are the rogues, frankly. They are the ones that are, have committed to the Roman government while moving in and among their own people. They are traitors, turncoats. They are those who live off the oppression of others. They cheat take their cut before they give it to the government. And yet, perhaps because of such vile behavior, they realize how desperately they need grace. And they come into this understanding oftentimes, and in particularly this fellow here, comes into that understanding and just says, God, I'm at the end. I got nothing. All I know at this point is that I am so far down, I can only cry out to you from the depths and acknowledge my sin and ask for your mercy. Now, sometimes that's a challenge. Again, if, if we don't see ourselves as turncoats and traitors and, and, and being part of a system that oppresses others, sometimes it's difficult to understand that need in and of ourselves. And yet Jesus says this is the foundation of being justified in faith, the foundation 
the starting point, the jumping off point for entering into that relationship with a God who just so desperately loves you. All he needs is for you to ask him to be part of your life. You know, it's interesting, when I was talking to this fellow that came to my office, it's not really what motivates us. Now, that's important sometimes, but here in this story, it's not about what motivates us to come to Jesus. It's just that we do. It's not about what gets us to that point of acknowledging our need for God's grace. It's just that we do. And the justification, to use a big churchy word, the justification, the beginning of that relationship with God begins as we acknowledge, as we respond to God's simple, gracious, open, willing presence in our lives. That's all God's looking for to begin that relationship is for us to consent and to ask and to acknowledge and to confess how desperate we are without him. I don't know what it took for you, but here we are and we are reminded what it means to be justified and we are invited to acknowledge this day and every day hereafter our own need For a God who is faithful to us when we are so often faithless in life. Asking us just to acknowledge. And then to live into the life of a disciple. You know, I I said last week, I can't remember what service it was in, about my mama telling me that I I wasn't any better than anybody else, but nor was I any worse. All right. You're not, nobody's better than you, but nor is anybody worse than you, she would say. And it's true. It's true for all of us. There ain't nobody better. There's my Georgia. Nobody's better. Nobody's any worse. That's understanding what humbleness, humbability, if you're five, is all about. That's who we are. There's a story that I just love. It's um, once upon a time, a writer was riding down a path in the forest and a huge tree had fallen across the lane. And the writer observed several soldiers down in the dirt trying to lift this log up off off the lane, out of the way so others could pass. And a corporal standing off in the distance barking the orders. And the men struggled and struggled, and the, and the corporal kept barking the orders. And finally, the writer looked at the corporal and said, why aren't you down there helping? Why aren't you getting your hands dirty? Get down, get help these guys, get that, this log out of the way. And the corporal says, well, I'm the corporal. I don't have to do that. I just give the orders. And so you know what happens. The rider gets down off his horse and and gives that last little bit of effort, that little bit that they just needed to get that log out of the way, that tree out of the way. And together, they working together, they lifted that log and, and, and passed it on and got it out of the way. And then George Washington got back up on his horse and said, next time you need to move a log, call the commander in chief. Rode on his way. No better, no worse. That's humility. I think the people of faith take it a step further. 
absolutely our actions, our attitudes, what we will or what we won't do, how we treat other people, how we engage other people. Absolutely, that's just about, perhaps you could say, common decency. Absolutely, if we have to talk about ourselves and our own greatness, and and somebody's gotten disconnected, right? Shakespeare says, thou dost protest too much, talks too much about how good you are, whatever. That, That absolutely is important. But I want to suggest to you that scripturally, we go a little further than that as believers. Maya Angelou says that true humility comes from the inside and moves out. True humility comes from the inside and then moves out. True humility is a condition of a heart that then demonstrates in action, not necessarily words, that then demonstrates that spirit, that humble, humble spirit. Humility comes from the inside out. So what I think is true, again, back to Scripture, is that that humility that believers embody is the divine spark that resides in everybody. The humility that we embody is the divine spark that is universal. We all are created in the image of God, nothing more, nothing less. And so we all have that ability call, model, to be humble. Because when that divine spark is ignited through confession of the need for a Savior, then it begins to grow and to develop and manifest in any number of ways. What gets us there is unique to us all. How it's manifested is unique to us all. What is common to all people is a divine spark that God has placed in everyone and our need to confess and throw ourselves at the mercy of God. And that divine spark is then stoked by the Holy Spirit. At that moment of justification, We then began to grow into Christ-likeness. And who was more humble than Jesus? And as believers, who could be, should be more humble than us? Philippians said that though he was God, Jesus did not take that identity for granted, emptied himself, became a servant to all, submitted himself to death, even death upon a cross. That's the call. To die to self, to serve others, to live into Christ-likeness. This is what takes us just beyond perhaps humble, common decency actions. This is what takes us into the very image of Christ. This is what carries us from that justifying moment of confession into that lifetime of Christ-likeness of living into the image of a Savior. Humility is praised more in Scripture than any other topic save generosity. God knows us. God knows us well. 
the call to be humble is so important. And when we answer, when we live into it, then a smile crosses the face of God, I have no doubt. Because then we begin to live into the likeness of Christ and to be more as God intends for us to be. We see it all over Proverbs. I love some of the, you know, it's, it's really interesting to Google humility. You never know what you're going to get up. But go to your concordance, your scripture, humility. Humility leads to wisdom. Disgrace comes with pride. Those are pretty good words to cross-stitch and put above your mantle. Wisdom is God. Wisdom is experience of the Holy Spirit. If you break the word down in Hebrew, wisdom is the word used for spirit, Holy Spirit. Humility leads to wisdom, leads to the presence, to the development, to the stoking of that flame of God inside you. Humility leads to wisdom and pride to disgrace. Humility comes with honor. You don't have to brag about how great you are. When you're truly humble, honor goes not to you because that's not what you want. Honor goes to the God who created you. Honor goes to the Christ in whose image you are trying to leave, lead, live. Humility leads to honor. And I'll follow it up. Praise goes to God. Because that's, again, what this divine spark getting ignited and inflamed means. Not calling attention to ourselves, yet when we get it right, giving the praise to God. James says this, this is another good one. God opposes the proud, ouch. God opposes the proud. God gives grace to the humble. Now, I'm not exactly sure how that one works. Frankly, I think God gives grace to everybody. Perhaps God gives more grace to the humble. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the truly humble. Humility comes from within and is manifest without. And then, of course, this is what pops up. If you do want to Google it, this is one that pops up. I love this quote. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. You and I are created in the image of God. Don't dare think less of yourself. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. It's credited to C.S. Lewis. There's some debate over that, but the truly humble don't care, right? True humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less so that when we get it right, if we are living into that Christ-likeness, if we are participating in the kingdom of God as we are called to do, then again, Christ is recognized. Christ is glorified. Christ is honored. That's where this all comes together. That's what humility or humbleability or whatever you want to call it receives the praise of God, receives the attention of Christ, is held up for other believers, 
so that all people who live and all people who have that divine spark within them know that that flame just needs some tending. And as the Holy Spirit enlivens and enriches and envelops, as that humility that comes from within is manifest from without, then the world may know the goodness of grace and graciousness of God. Then the world may know that there is nobody who has sunk so low that they are too far from the grace of God. Then the world may know that there is nobody who may feel so isolated and alone in any given circumstance, desperate as they are, that truly is all by themselves. When the people of God get it right, when the Spirit stokes that flame within the gathered body of Christ, the church, then all praise to Jesus Christ. And thanks be to God for his faithfulness and his willingness to work through us. Amen. And let us pray. All that needs to be said this morning, O Lord, is that we are sinners. Have mercy on us. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. Find all other podcasts, including archives from previous pastors, on iTunes and Google Play. You can also view the sermons on the web at harrisonchurch.org. And as always, to keep up with the latest Harrison happenings, you can visit us on Facebook or our website, again, harrisonchurch.org.